you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online, whether this is your very first time with us, whether you've been with us for years. I believe that each person who's part of our service this morning is exactly who God wants to be able to hear the specific message, to experience the time of worship we just had, to engage in community with one another, uh, and just believe that each person who hears my voice is someone who's deeply loved by God, that Jesus came lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, but was raised to new life to invite each person into eternal life relationship with him through God, with God the Father through him, and that the Holy Spirit wants to draw one step closer to Christ-likeness this morning. Now, we are starting our series called Behold, and uh, it's looking at the season of Advent. We're looking at it with, as Bob and Linda mentioned in the reading, a few different themes than we typically do, but looking specifically as we did in the season of thankfulness in November, we looked at the story of Ruth. In this season of Advent, we're going to look at the story, a little bit of the life of John the Baptist, looking at someone who was there to prepare the way for Jesus' first coming. And then has some lessons for us as we get ready for Jesus' second coming. And so that's where we're going over the next few weeks. Uh, Some of you may be aware, some of you may not fully yet, uh, that the fourth Sunday of Advent, um, or three weeks from today, yeah, okay, good. Three weeks from today is Christmas Eve. So just so in case you didn't know already, we are having our normal Christmas Eve, uh, normal Sunday morning services, 9 and 1030. And then we will also have 3.30 and 5 o'clock uh, candlelight services with uh, child care and nursery available for the 3.30. So just to give you an idea that we're going through the story of John pretty quickly, John the Baptist pretty quickly, but we're going to unpack these themes of prepare, of witness, of rejoice, and watch all through the story of John the Baptist. Now, today we're talking about the idea of preparing. We're going to primarily be in Luke chapter 1, so you can start turning there if you like. But before you do, I wonder, have you ever had a time in which you thought you were prepared for something And then you realized you were woefully not. One of those moments where you think, okay, I got Thanksgiving ready, and then all of a sudden, more people show up. Or, oh, I thought that I was ready to make a big move, and then I realized that I wasn't ready yet, and there's still utilities and um, whatever. Like, there are these moments in our lives where we think, okay, I'm ready for something. And then you realize when the moment comes that you were ill-prepared for whether it was the plan went askew and you need to adjust, whether you need to call an audible, or whether it's just unforeseen circumstances led to some difficulties in the process. For me, one of the ones that I think of uh, in this regard most is when uh, we were about to have um, our first child, uh, Shaylin is 12 years old as of last Monday. So she just celebrated her birthday uh, as 12, and it's crazy and amazing and it was just fun looking back at some pictures. I looked at some pictures before she was born and we've got a couple pictures here of her nursery um, back when we, you know, spent just as much time wanting to make sure the nursery looked nice and think that's what, that's the kind of time you have before the child comes, right? And so being able to like, Steph had put it together and like we, we had the crib and we had the blanket and we wanted to make sure that, you know, the blanket matches the things on the top, which matches these things. And there's a little thing for the, for the, um, for the diapers to go. And it was also cute to think that that's exactly how we were going to utilize it. But I love this room because it's, it just, 
it shows the intentionality. It shows how hard, especially Steph worked, to just make this beautiful place that we were able to bring our daughter, Shaylin Joy, which we've shared before, that Shaylin uh, is a combination of names that comes from the, the Hebrew word uh, Shia for gift, and then Lynn is short for Linda. So it was this idea that she's our beautiful, which means beautiful. So it's our beautiful gift. And so we had this beautiful room that we had prepared in advance for our beautiful gift to come home. And so there's a picture of me um, holding Shaylin uh, in the hospital room still. And so I love it because, I, you know, I was holding her and it was so sweet. She's nestled all closely. But I specifically wanted to show a picture of me in the hospital with her rather than like the manicured, like curated uh, newborn photos. Because this was still the time when I had no idea what it was going to be like to care for a kid. And so it was one of those where I'm there and I'm holding her and it's super sweet. And then in the middle of the night, like, the nurses are doing their job, and they, they wake up, like, oh, we'll change the diaper. I'm like, this is going to be great. You know, like, just changing the diapers for her and getting all ready. And then we come home, and it's like, oh, this is just, this is us now. And there was this windstorm that happened the, the first night we were home, and, like, down the street on our block, like, a tree fell down. And we're like, what did we get ourselves into, and where's the nurse when I need her? Because I never changed a diaper. I'd never been prepared for actually caring for our baby. I'd, we had prepared, and primarily Steph had prepared the room and it looked beautiful, but I was not fully prepared for what it would like, be like. To the point where we, had to take, we took her for a follow-up visit and we were driving in um, our Ford Windstar, which don't exist anymore, but this van. And I remember uh, I would break, like when I was going through the uh, parking structure and I was braking, and it would just make this little like, eh. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, she was just asleep. I started to think what's going on. Like, why is this a problem? Like, and no matter what I do, every time she's just making noise. And then I realized it was just our break, like was making a weird noise. And so it was just this moment of like, I don't, I don't know what kind of change diapers. I, I don't know what my daughter's cry sounds like quite yet, which I've learned to know now. But just this idea of recognizing this dynamic of thinking you're prepared. And then you realize you're, you're, just, you're just not, and there's some things that you could be as prepared for as you want on the front end, but there is nothing to prepare you for certain moments in life. There's nothing we can do. I, I could have read books. I could have done all those things. We could have gotten ready. And it still would have been different because the moment for us, for me, when I walked over there, and by there, I mean where Shaylin was, and I put my, my finger by her hand and she just wraps it around. I'm like, there's no way to prepare yourself for that. There's no way to be prepared for what that moment's like. And yeah, it's one of those where I put my finger in her hand, but she's had me wrapped around hers ever since. But you can't be prepared for big things like that. And there's good things, there's bad things, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's joys, and there's griefs that we can think we are prepared for. But when it comes down to it, it reminds us of the moment of how much we need God to walk through the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, and the ebbs of the flows of life. Because sometimes we just need to reach out to our Father's hand and know that he's got us too. So as we enter into this time about prepare this morning, we're going to look at John, at John the Baptist in the womb. We're going to look at his announcement, uh, the annunciation when he was in the womb, and then the beginning of his ministry and how God used him to prepare the people of Israel for the message that would change their lives and would change all of our lives if we were to receive it. The message that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death, but he was raised to new life and invites us into relationship with God the Father through him. 
Will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for this time together? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are with us. Lord, there are times right now some of us are thinking of things that we need to be prepared for. And we're thinking through lists and we're checking it twice and trying to make sure that we're ready. Lord, there are other things that have um, hit us like a wave of grief or difficulty in this past year that we were unprepared for. But Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are with us whether we're prepared for a season or not, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you are our God and we are your people and we can fix our eyes upon you as the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, that when we are um, following you, we could reach out our hand and you could grab our hand as a father does in order to help us know you are here. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you. We thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. If you're joining us online, you can click the Bible tab. Maybe you have your Bible open in front of you, which would be awesome. Uh, we're going to go through, look through 5 through 17 for a while and jump around later in Luke 1. If you're here in person and you brought your Bible, awesome. If you brought your Bible on your phone, awesome. If you did neither of those but would like to follow along, we have Bibles that are available in the seat pack uh, not pockets, the racks in front of you. So as we look at this idea of the first week of Advent through the theme of prepare, Advent reminds us of the importance, reminds us to prepare ourselves to prepare others to experience Jesus. It's recognizing that we need to have our hearts right, like we heard in the reading. We want to lay out, if we can, that red carpet treatment to Jesus. But even if we can't, we just open the door and he comes in and he will sit with us and be with us. He stands at the door and knocks of all of our hearts this morning. Would we let him in? But that when we let him in, would we uh, make room for him to work in our lives to prepare us for what he has in store? But not just so that we could consume or receive, but that we can give and we can share and prepare the hearts of those around us. Not that we could change people's hearts, but we could be willing witnesses. We could be people who God can use to go before and be able to pave the way for the gospel to change lives. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. And in this section, to, to give us a little bit of context, we're, we're looking at uh, the story of Zechariah. Now, there's an even more famous annunciation from the angel Gabriel coming up in a little bit when he visits Mary and tells her that she's going to have a child, even though she's a virgin, and that she's going to be able to be the one who's the, the mother of the Lord. And she wrestles with that and navigates that and, and then has this beautiful prayer of acceptance. And she does, when, this, when the angel says that, she doesn't question that it's going to happen. She just says, how can this be? Zechariah, on the other hand, he has this incredible encounter with Gabriel while he's serving inside the temple. And his question is a little bit more, is this even possible? And so we'll start to see a little bit of the story here unfold. But let's start Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 10, if you want to follow along in the scripture. Verse 5 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. What's this tell us? This tells us that both of them, that he was a priest and that his wife Elizabeth came from the priestly line, the Aaronic or the line of Aaron, all the way back into the Old Testament. So they both came from priestly, godly families who took their faith seriously. 
He continues on, verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, he would be a priest and there would be several different divisions and the opportunity for his division to be able to be the one that is offering the prayer of incense in the temple would happen once or twice a year. And the fact that he was chosen by lot, that says according to the custom, that means that this idea of him being able to go into the, the temple right before the Holy of Holies to offer up this prayer was something that would happen once, maybe twice in a lifetime. Now to give the context, the temple would have this, op- this space where there'd be a table of showbread, there'd be the golden lampstand, and then there'd be this altar of incense, and then there'd be the veil that was right in front of it. So the prayers of the, the priest representing the people would go at the altar of incense. He'd pray and intercede for the people, and the smoke that would come from that incense prayer would rise over the veil, over the curtain that was in to the Holy of Holies. And so while the priest wasn't able to go into the Holy of Holies at that time, he was able to pray for the people. And so it's in this moment when he has been represented as a once, maybe twice in a lifetime opportunity that he's going and he's there. And you got to remember, there, there were no lights there except for the golden lampstand. There's no electricity. And so all of a sudden, if an angel were to pop out, this would be incredibly startling. Verse 11, or verse 10, excuse me. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the other priests were praying outside and the other people. Verse 11. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So many details in here that we want to catch. What's the right side? The right side is the favored side. The right side is, is trying to give the idea to Zechariah that I'm not coming at, with, a, with a message of doom. I'm coming because you are favored, because you're obedient, because you follow God, because you and your wife follow God. I'm giving you a message that will be a message of good news, but even then, it's still terrifying. When Zechariah, verse 12, saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, let's go ahead and go to verse 15. Oh, sorry, we'll we'll keep reading. And then we'll go to uh, verse 14 and 15. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Even before he was born, John was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't said for many people. Verse 16, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this whole idea is, it's saying, Gabriel's coming to Zechariah and saying, your son that that Elizabeth is about to have, even in her old age, is going to fulfill an incredibly important role. And there's verbiage in here that we don't necessarily catch because unlike Zechariah and unlike Elizabeth, who would have had, Zechariah would have had the whole Jewish scriptures memorized. He would have known this very well. They both knew the scripture very well. There's verbiage in here that points back directly to the role of a witness of, of someone who was in the spirit of Elijah who would prepare the way for the Messiah. 
So Zechariah would understand immediately. In fact, we see this in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. This is right before, in our, in our Christian Bible, um, the Jewish Bible is a little bit order, different order for the Old Testament. But in the Christian Bible, Malachi comes right before Matthew. This is like the last verse, the last chapter of the Old Testament before we see the story of uh, Jesus in the Gospels. So this is what Malachi says. He says, behold, hence the title of our series, where we'll see this several times over the next few weeks. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This part is really encouraging, and then it just kind of goes, this is a little scary. It's saying, but here's the idea. It's connecting the fact that Zechariah would have heard what Gabriel said to him in verses 14 through 17. And when he says, this, your son will have the spirit of Elijah, all of a sudden he's thinking about there'll be Elijah that is sent ahead of time. What is he going to do? He's going to turn the hearts of the father back to their children. That's exactly what Malachi said was going to happen, that he will turn, this messenger will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And then, and Gabriel will also mention the idea if he turns the, the disobedient to the ways of the righteous. And so Zechariah is recognizing the gravity of what's being told to him. And he's realizing that this, my son, that, that we thought we were never going to be able to have kids, my son is going to be able to be the messenger that paves, that prepares the way for the Messiah. And again, his response, and we're not going to go all the way into it, although there are many sermons and messages throughout this section that all on their own that would be viable and powerful for us. But the idea is that he responds, not sure and wondering if this is even possible. But Robert Stein reminds us of the importance of this ministry that John is going to fulfill. So let's go ahead and go here because of John's ministry. Fathers will turn compassionately and lovingly toward their children. And disobedient people will turn and accept the wisdom of the righteous. And you got to think about the fact that the angel showing up inside the holy place, not the holy of holies or the most holy place, but inside the holy place, which was separated because of the curtain, that at that time there had been 400 years between when Malachi had said that, when he had given this prophecy, to when Jesus comes. So there's a 400-year gap where the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, ends before the New Testament starts. And so all of a sudden, it's, it's this idea of Zechariah understands. But we could understand as well the fact that he is like, how, like, can you give me some proof? Can, can you show me this is actually going to happen? Because we've been waiting for years and yet, there's this moment where he, the, the angel's like, because you questioned it, you will go mute. You will not speak until your son John is born. And so he goes out. The prayer time ends. He walks out. He's not speaking. People understand something happened. He goes home, and all of a sudden, Mary, Elizabeth finds out she's pregnant, and she talks about how she's in seclusion for five months and so whether that's because she's treasuring it, whether it's because she's afraid, whether something's going to happen to the baby because of her old age, whatever it is, we don't fully know why, but we know that she secludes herself and then Zechariah was mute. And so there's a joke in there somewhere that some of you are like, wait, I thought 
maybe that Gabriel was punishing Zechariah for not speaking, but Elizabeth was probably pretty happy with the silence around. There's a joke there somewhere. I don't know where it is. But here's the idea. We start to see in this section, Zechariah understands. And he's mute. And so we're going to find out in a couple of verses the first things that Zechariah says after nine months of silence and how it pertains to what his son, John the Baptist, is going to do. So let's take a few moments to unpack or answer a question based on Luke chapter 1. How does John prepare the people for Jesus? How does he do it? I mean, he's, he's all the way out in the desert. We'll find out, you know, we'll read in Matthew 3 that it's not like he, he hosts a bunch of parties and, and, you know, and has this, like, sales pitch. It's not like he's doing something in order to, you know, um, get people to come to him. He's off in the desert wearing, like, just ra- rags. He has locusts and honey for food, which is not typically what you bring to a Christmas potluck. And so it's just one of those where he's all the way out there and people are flocking to him to hear the message because he's preparing the way for Jesus. So how does he do this? There's just a couple examples that we see here. Um, the first one is the idea that the first thing he does is he points people to him. And he does this very literally in John chapter 1, which we'll hit on in a couple of weeks, when he says, behold, there's that word again, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He says, look over there and understand. He literally points to him. However, we even see here, remember we talked about earlier, if I, if I didn't share that part earlier in Luke chapter 1 about how it said the Holy Spirit would reside in John within the womb, you might say that this is like kind of extreme to take it this way, but we see the first time in which he signals that Jesus is a big deal. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39, I'll read it. At that time, or at that time, again, this is after Jesus' uh, has birth has been announced to Mary. It's been six months and the proof of that is that Elizabeth says, even Elizabeth in your old age, or in her old age, is about to have a, a child. And so the Mary goes to spend time with Elizabeth. And here's what verse 39 says when they unite. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill promises to her. So let's go to the verse. We highlight this section here. This idea, the baby in my womb leaps for joy. If this was just without the context that the Holy Spirit was already going to be living inside John in the womb, this would just be like, well, the baby just might be growing, might be stretching, might be annoyed, might be like, had just had some food and so it's moving around. But it's, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit was stirring his heart. And it's because he leapt for joy, because he moved in Elizabeth's womb, and because the Holy Spirit then came into her heart and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, they knew. Elizabeth knew that something is going on here. And she recognized that Mary was going to have the child who would be the Messiah. See, all these different things for you, for me, when it comes to how we point people to Jesus, are we living in such a way that, not that everything's perfect. Anyone who's followed Jesus longer than 13 minutes knows that things can get hard quickly. But the idea is, even in the hard, even in the tough, are we able to still point others to Jesus? 
and say, I don't know how I'm getting through this. All I know is that Jesus is with me. Or when things go well, do we leap for joy because of our own accomplishments, our own abilities, and our own way of doing things? Or do we leap for joy because we think God is working? Are we people that are known that, that joy is central to our lives, even when pain and heartache surrounds us? It's a lot easier said than done, but even within the womb, John the Baptist leapt for joy, but it pointed to the fact that she, he was pointing his mom, Elizabeth, to recognize. The Holy Spirit used him to point to Elizabeth to say, this is a big deal. The Messiah is here. We continue on. How else? And there's other examples, but we're just going to go quickly through this passage this morning for the sake of, of all the different topics we're going to talk about the next few weeks. The second thing, the second way that he does this is by going before him. If you notice, that he will, he will prepare a way. He will go before him. Here's what, let's jump down uh, to Luke chapter uh, 1, starting in verse, well, from 57 to 68, we see, or 57 to 66, excuse me, we see John's birth. We see that they want to know what to name him. Zechariah says his name is John. John means God is gracious. I know that because my first name is John. God is gracious. My middle name is Paul, which is little, so I always just think that my name means God is gracious to little people, and that's great. And so <laughs> recognizing that um, this idea of God is gracious, and he's like, there's no one in your family name that has that. And he just writes, Zechariah writes down on a tablet, his name is John, and at that moment, he's able to speak. After nine months, he's unable to speak. At that moment, his name is John. The messenger has arrived. I'm going to read the whole section first before we go to the, this verse. Here's what Zechariah says. It says, he now was filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got John filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit, now Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. I wonder if he had Malachi 4, for example, one of many verses, if he had that in mind when he shared that. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to restore us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. He's giving God praise immediately after silence. Then he continues on. He turns his attention now to the newborn baby son, maybe as he's walking over and puts his finger in his hand and the baby holds him tight. Verse 76, and you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. This idea of going on before the Lord is referenced again earlier in Malachi, starting chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So all of these are coming together. that The way is going to be paved before, prepared before. So John, in order to prepare the road, has to go in front of Jesus. And he's six months older. And we see his ministry starts, his public ministry starts before Jesus' does. It's before, but Jesus' is greater. It's paving the way for what is better. In the same way, if you go to a concert, there might be an opening act who performs before, but it's just building towards who you're there to see. It goes before, but the main event, Jesus, is greater. 
It was uh, about October of 2017. I've shared this story before, but not in a while. October of 2017 um, came the time when I was at my previous church, and um, my supervisor there had asked me to pray about, do you really want to become a senior pastor? Which, you know, I tried not to take offensively. No, I'm just kidding. Um, He's like, is that what you want? He had been a senior pastor. He's like, is that what you're called to do? I'm like, I came uh, to San Diego. We were on a family trip and we were living in LA County at the time. I was just praying, God, is this what you want? Is this, and we just felt such peace about it. And so when we, um, I started sharing with with my supervisor. He's like, okay, go for it. Well, we support you and we want you to be able to find a home uh, for you and your family as a church, uh, church home. And so um, I got connected with a friend and a friend of mine knew a gentleman named Todd Clark. Todd Clark here, I've probably spoken just a handful of times in my life, but um, Todd Clark represents a company called Slingshot Group. Slingshot Group, the way that I very briefly and probably not totally accurately describe it, is kind of like the e-harmony for pastors and churches. It's, it's one of many of these types of places that they fill out, like PCC, we filled out as a church, there was a profile, here's what we're looking for. And then I fill out a profile and say, well, this is what I'm looking for. And so, you go and I, and I, um, I put up, I uploaded the uh, document on a slingshot. And on the very first page, I've sh- again, shared this before, that we were uh, in town for, a, we were in a wedding for some friends um, and we're driving around. It's like, oh, like maybe we'd like to live here. This was like in 2007. Like this was years prior. I'm like, oh, maybe we'd like to live here someday. And so I upload my thing on a slingshot. And on the very first page, I see a church in Poway. I'm like, oh, Let's, let's take a look at it. Open it up. I read the profile. And, and so it's one of those where all of a sudden Todd Clark was the one that was representing Pomerado Christian Church and trying to find a match. And so when I had a friend um, and he introduced me to Todd, he's like, okay, fill it out. And so I, I let him know. And then I let him know too. I was like, hey, I sent an email. Like, hey, I'm interested in this church in Poway. And so then Todd presented me. And I, obviously I wasn't there, but like, presented me as a candidate to the elders um, well enough that they didn't just give up before they tried. And so, and so he went before me to open up the doors that I, I still have interviews and we still met and we still did all these different steps. But instead of me just being a random name on a random database that no one would have any foresight for, because I had a friend who had the right friend, that friend Todd became the one, the John the Baptist, in the sense of he paved the way for me to have the opportunity to be the senior pastor here. And maybe you've had people in your life who've paved the way for you. Maybe it's a supervisor who laid down the groundwork for you to succeed and go beyond that. Maybe it was a teacher growing up that poured into your heart so much that you thought, man, I, I want to be a teacher. I want to impact people the way they've impacted me. And, and it's this idea of we try to leave the next generation better than the way we had it. Maybe it's just someone who said something nice to someone you were interested in, and because of that, a a relationship blossoms because someone put in a good word for you. I mean, there's different ways. But when Jesus, not that he needed someone, right? It's not like he was incapable. But in order to fulfill the scriptures, John went before him. He prepared the way. He was saying, hey, Work needs to be done. The, the, the soil of Israel's heart over 400 years of not hearing from God and not pursuing him fully, the soil was hardened and someone needed to go in there and till that up and upturn the soil in order to make it ready for the seed of the word of God that Jesus would be planting soon. John had that task. How did he do it? 
One, we see that as he prepared people, it's like he pointed them to Jesus. We'll talk about that more soon. Two, he went before him. He, he, he had to be the, the predecessor. He was before, but Jesus was greater. He had to lead the way. He had to be someone that gave in a good word. And then lastly, this is a long one. So if you're following along, I know it's just, this is a lot of words here. But he gave, by giving people knowledge of salvation through him, to be clear, Jesus, that's the antecedent here, through Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. See, when we're in a culture that is hard-hearted towards the things of God, what happens? We think, I don't need to hear about a salvation and forgiveness because I haven't done anything wrong. We start to think that the, heart, the soil of our lives are hard because we think, I don't have sin. I'm not as bad as that person. At least I didn't murder someone. At least I didn't steal. I mean, we start to grade our sinfulness or lack thereof on a curve. And we always happen to find the worst example in front of us and think, well, we're going to be good because we're after that person. But what's, what John had to do was to say, no, 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 you need to repent for the kingdom of God is here. It is near. The Messiah is coming. You need to repent because of that. You need to, repenting is, we, we, it's this big, scary word, but it's just the idea of you're going in one direction and you need to stop and you need to U-turn and you need to go back to where you once were. John had this sometimes unenviable task of calling people out on their sin and calling the people out on the ways they've fallen. And other prophets have done this, and it didn't always go well for them either. But John had to fulfill the role of showing the people, maybe their hearts were hard, but in order to receive the seed of the gospel, people, just like we do now, need to see the need, the acknowledgement of our own sinfulness, and the need for a savior. Because if we think we're fine, we'll sit at a church, we'll go to a small group, we'll serve, every once in a while we'll do things and think, yeah, but I'm fine. But we need to have our hearts just tilled, the soil around us tilled to receive the word of God. Some of us today, that might be for the very first time. For some of us, it's just a reminder of the gospel. The fact that God loves us, that he created us and he loves us, and that we blew it. Maybe not you and me in the exact moment of the Garden of Eden, but we blew it because sin entered into the world when we thought there are no consequences for my sin. And we think, oh, well, I can be the one to determine what's right and wrong. So we had this beautiful relationship with God all the way from the beginning. And because of sin, it has permeated into our fleshly nature, yours and mine and everyone you've ever known and everyone that ever will exist and has existed. We have a sinful nature wants to rebel. And because of that, there's a gap between us. But if number one of the gospel is that God loves us, that's important for us to remember. If number two is that we blew it, number three is that Jesus paid for it. And through his perfect life and his horrible death, and he was raised to new life, he invites us into relationship with God the Father through him. If we confess our sins and we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then we're saved. And then the last step is that we have to receive it, though. We can't just know this intellectually and then stop halfway there. We have to have the soil tilled. We have to receive the seed. And then we have to say, I want to know you, Jesus, and surrender my life to you. John was the first step of paving the way for people to even understand the need of, or the acknowledgement of their own sinfulness and therefore the need of a Savior. Here's how uh, Zechariah says it in verse 77. He says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
It's recognized that he had to be able to tell them that they were sinners and that they needed Jesus because if they didn't recognize the former, they wouldn't receive the blessing by recognizing the latter. Matthew chapter 3, I'll just read this um, 1 through 6. You can take notes later to follow along. But here's what John the Baptist, now we're looking into his, his uh, beginning of his ministry a little bit. Matthew 3 verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, quote, A voice of one calling in the wilderness that says, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse, or we'll, we'll start there. We see this quotation here. Um, it's, if you're in your Bibles, you follow along. It's, a, it's kind of offset. It shows us that it's a quotation from the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Here's what Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, 4, and 5 say to give us the bigger context of this verse that is being referred to John the Baptist. It says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John's job was to make a highway for people who were far from God to come near to him. There's a, a, for a project, I believe it started about two, three or four years ago, or several years ago, I think, uh, there was a story of a road that needed to be uh, created from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia into Onan. And so there's a picture here. There's this section called the Empty Quarter. And it was so extreme. The desert temperatures and the terrain was so extreme that even though Saudi Arabia was here and Oman was here, there was no real, uh, there's never been a road that connected those two countries because of how extreme everything was. And so I looked up the story and I found this out, a little bit of the details here. So there was a project, I'm just going to read along here, um, which took place in the Rub al-Khali Desert, which connects Saudi Arabia and Oman. The desert is characterized with steep terrain and sand dunes, dunes, not dunes, that'd be weird, uh, sand dunes elevated as high as 820 feet. But this did not hinder the completion of the road construction project. Among other difficulties, the workers and machines had to cope with extreme desert temperatures, reaching 122 degrees Fahrenheit in the day and dropping to below 34 degrees at night. Volvo Construction was given the job of constructing the snake along the desert. The company needed to move 130 million cubic meters of sand for bridge construction. I read that, I'm like, that sounds like a lot. I don't know what that is. Here's how much that is in pounds. Let me make sure I get that right. 286 billion, 600 million, 600,000 pounds. This is equivalent of 26 of the Great Pyramids. They also needed 12 million cubic metric of, needle, of material to prevent embankment of sand from wind and water. In other words, they needed to support these sand bridges that needed to be created because the valleys needed to be made low and the high ground needed to be, or the valleys needed to be made high and the high ground needed to be made low. 95 Volvo machines comprising of articulated haulers, excavators, and motor graders were ordered. The dunes were tackled by a lead excavation team as project progressed, and it was crucial to excavation and building a raised surface and foundations for the road. 
About 600 workers comprising of drivers, excavator operators, technicians, and others worked on the project for three years. They created self-contained camps that were especially built for the facilities for these workers, both where they could live as well as the mechanical needs in case and not if but when things went wrong. Relentless working of the machines and 14-hour shifts of excavating and depositing sand and compacting the same using natural salty water would see the team accomplish this project within the three years. And so here's what that part of what that road looks like now. And so it's a 160-mile road from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to Oman. Faced a ton of difficulties, a lot of challenges. But that gives us a picture of what is it that John had to do? Because you can make the argument that moving sand that doesn't want to fight back, moving sand that doesn't question the fact that you're calling them out on their sin, moving sand and building a project while daunting may be in some degrees not as daunting as telling people who think they're fine that there's sin in their lives. Chad Bird in my devotional about this section says this, Inside John's mouth roared God's motor grader, excavator, and asphalt paver. He built the Messiah's Unsalah, his highway. John's road was shoveled with nouns and paved with verbs. His preaching of baptism and repentance constructed an Unsalah, a highway, from the Jordan to Jesus. He had to go before him and prepare the way by facing this difficult task. And yet, here's what Matthew 3 says. Verse 4 says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. But people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Verse 6, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. He was able to preach, repent. There's a need for forgiveness for sins, and people would confess, and then they would get baptized. He faced an incredibly hard road to prepare the way for the Messiah. And yet, he was willing to do that, he was obedient to do that, and he helped pave the Msalah, the highway, to the Messiah, the chosen one. Greg Strand says it this way, when he talks about forgiveness. Forgiveness is connected with salvation. You can't receive the salvation of Christ if you don't think you need to be forgiven for anything. If we all think we're good enough, we are like the lukewarm people in Revelation 3 that says, I wish you... I wish you would recognize you can't be lukewarm. Forgiveness is connected with salvation. Since sin is defiance and rebellion against God, that sin must be forgiven or there will be no salvation. John will proclaim the salvation and forgiveness of sins, but it is Jesus who alone can and will provide it. John's ministry was first. Jesus' ministry was greater. John paved the way Jesus showed us how to walk in it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to close with a couple of questions, and we're going to dive into some of this stuff a little bit more again throughout this series. But just to close on these last three questions for us, that if the main point for today is the idea that Advent reminds us that we need to prepare our hearts in order to prepare others to experience Jesus. And we look that John, he prepared the people for Christ by pointing to him by going before him and by sharing about forgiveness and salvation because of our sin. Then the question we have as we close is, are you, are we, am I preparing people to experience Jesus? Are you, are we, am I 
pointing people to, to him? Is it something where we look so similar to everyone around us that, no, I don't want you to leave this place like, well, I heard in the sermon today that I need to go out to the desert and like, eat locusts and honey. That's not what I'm saying. But no one doubted that John, his life was changed because of Christ and he was willing to do whatever it took to fulfill the calling of preparing people for an experience with Jesus. He had locusts, he had honey, he was wearing, I mean, and he wasn't a soft prophet of like, oh, things are gonna be fine. He's like, no, 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 repent now. The kingdom of, come, the kingdom of God's here. Time is running out. Urgency is of the essence. So are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you living in such a way that when people look to you, they see a reflection of your Lord? In good times, in bad times, in ups and downs, highs and lows, ebbs and flows of life. Are you pointing to him? Or would your life, if you were to look honestly, point all to yourself or even to your family or to friends or to your job or to whatever it is? Where and to whom does your life point most? Are you going before him? Are you living in such a way that you are going and on your way, as you are going, you're able to make disciples? That Matthew 28, I can't get all the way into it, but in the Great Commission, it talks about go and make disciples. But that word go is as you are going, as you are on your way, as you are living your life, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. As you're going about your daily life, as your Christmas list gets crazy, as your calendar events are full, are you present? Are we, am I present enough with people to spend time spending time with people to point to Jesus, to share what he's doing in my life, in your life, in our lives? And am I willing to go before him and just be a good witness? Someone who doesn't push people off from Christ, but rather says, you know, if that's, if Jesus is able to do that in your life, maybe I'm, I'd be interested to know what maybe he could potentially do in mine. And then lastly, are you sharing about salvation through him and forgiveness of sin? Which is a hard one, right? But when we're sharing with people who are far from God, John will say, hey, repent. And there may be a space when we see that that could potentially be the, the route. But one other way to share about forgiveness and the need for salvation is not by pointing the finger, but by looking in the mirror. And saying, how are we, how am I, if I'm sharing with somebody, this is what God has forgiven me of. Hey, here's the sinful nature I struggle with. And I know I need a savior. I need forgiveness for my sin. And so I recognize, as Paul said, that, hey, I'm the chief of all sinners. Because I know the depravity of my own heart just like you know yours because we know all the thoughts that we've had and the struggles we have. And so if I know I need that for myself. And if we share about that with others, and it's not saying, hey, you need Jesus, but I'm good. It's saying, hey, we need Jesus. Can we do this together? It's a difference. So as we close this morning, it's wrestling with how do we, what, is, what might the Holy Spirit be putting on your heart this morning to prepare yourself to, to be ready for relationship with Jesus or to get closer? And then what might he be doing in your life and in your heart to prepare others so that they too can experience the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who came to take away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God.
who took away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. And Lord, I thank you for this time that we um, have together, Lord, as we um, start this series and, and look at how we need to have our hearts prepared, but then also how you might use us to prepare the hearts of those around us to meet Jesus. May we fix our eyes upon you in the midst of Christmas lists, Christmas activities, stressors, family dynamics, issues around us, and may we never lose sight of who you are, Jesus, and you are why. You are what we are looking forward to because we find hope in you by looking back to what you've done. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and I pray that you are speaking in each person's heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.